This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry, the Cat's Paws. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. Um, back today with uh, should be another good episode um, with Wes Rucker from GoVols247Sports.com. He's a I guess technically a colleague of mine covering the Tennessee site. So I'm looking forward to getting him on here and then talking about the game on Saturday. Yeah, Wes does a really good job on the Tennessee beat. Uh, I was on Rocky Top Insider this morning with Ben McKee. I enjoyed that. Uh, Ben's a guy that we're going to look at having on during the basketball season when Kentucky and Tennessee play. But, Derek, this uh, I think this is working out, having someone on from the opposing team's beat to come on and sort of give a scouting report. Uh, like with us – this year, we've got to watch some games, but we really haven't got to dive into a lot of these teams as much as we'd like to, given the way Kentucky's sort of played at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question. I know before you got on here, you said you haven't really seen Tennessee play that much, and I was thinking I watched pretty much their whole game against South Carolina week one and didn't really watch much of the Missouri game last or two weeks ago and then watched what I could of the uh, Georgia game before going to – Kroger Field last week, and I didn't see a whole lot of the second half of that game. Just kept up with the score. I've I've listened to every single Tennessee game, but I've been driving all three times that they've played. So I was on the way home from Auburn when they were playing South mm-hmm. Carolina. I was on the way to Kentucky Ole Miss when they were playing Missouri, and then I was on the way to Kentucky Mississippi State when they were playing Georgia. So I haven't had a chance to sit down and actually watch a lot, but I've you know I've enjoyed listening to the radio calls and things like that. Tennessee's a program. Derek, I think you might agree with this too. There, there were two programs in college football that I followed as a kid, and it was Kentucky and it was Tennessee. Just because, given where we lived and where we grew up, it wasn't that far from Tennessee. So you, you sort of, I always say, yes, I wasn't a Tennessee fan, but I enjoyed watching them almost as much as I enjoyed watching Kentucky because I always wanted Tennessee to lose when I was a kid. So those were the two games that I'd watch every Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I think probably more than any other program in the SEC. Just um, I follow a lot of Tennessee riders. Um, I think their Tennessee side on 24-7 is one of the best. Um, so I read it quite a bit, good ideas from them. And then, like you said, just the proximity. I mean, if you type it into Google, probably where I grew up uh, is just as close to Kroger Field as it is Neyland Stadium, pretty much right in the middle of both. So, I'd never been to Neyland, though, until I started covering the team. I've been this is my third time down there on Saturday. Um, typically a pretty tight press box. So I'm hoping, uh, obviously, it's going to be spread out 50% capacity this year. I've seen how much different it's going to be from that aspect. But it'll be uh, 
It'll be a place I enjoy going. One, one criticism of that stadium, though, Sean, the, the scoreboard. I think they only have one scoreboard, right, on one side of the stadium. I mean, for a team that invests this much money, uh, I don't know they can't get a new board up there. Make it uh, easier for everybody to see. And as long as I can see it, I won't. they'll never be what Auburn was. I couldn't see anything at Auburn. Like, that will forever be just absolute hell for me And when it comes to covering a game. The view was great. But the, you couldn't see the video board, Derek, at Auburn. So at least uh, if we're sitting on the front row of the press box, we can't see the video board there in Knoxville. I think there's only, in the email, I think there's only like five or six of us from UK Media going. Yeah. So it's not a hopefully not a huge crowd in the press box. But uh, overall, the press box, if I remember, it was a good view of the field. Like you had a really good sideline view, and it's high up. So I'm looking forward to getting to Knoxville. I like you said, I was there. I've been to Neyland as a fan four or five times, but this will be my second time in media. So I'm looking forward to getting over there Saturday. If you're not able to make it to Neyland Stadium Saturday, make it out to the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. They have Taco Tuesday now. Brought that back. You got Wing Wednesday. I, Derek, I actually ordered takeout again from the pub last night. I promise I'm not just throwing this out there because they're a sponsor. I went and I had the buffalo chicken sandwich. Last night, it was delicious again. So that's like four for four now with that sandwich that uh, I'm plugging it. It's a really good, really good sandwich. So make it out there Saturday. Watch Kentucky, Tennessee at noon. Have a sandwich. Have some wings. Stick around all day. They got live music, and they'll have all the college football on the TV that you you can imagine. Uh, Everything you want to watch, MLB playoff baseball, whatever's going on this weekend, Get out to the Butcher's Pub, two locations, one in Pineville, one in Williamsburg. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. Derek, we'll be back with more after this. Call Bryant Law, 261-7381. This is attorney Jeremy Bryant. Have you been injured at work in the last 24 months? Contact Bryant Law. We want you to understand that every dime an insurance company keeps from you is another one they keep in their pocket. You're entitled to just compensation. So don't let the insurance company tell you what's proper. After all, you're the one who has been injured on the job. I'll evaluate your case and tell you the truth. Call Bryant Law in Corbin and get what you deserve. Visit online at jeremybryantlaw.com. Welcome back to Kentucky Daily. We're joined now by Wes Rucker, senior writer for GoVols247sports.com. So a colleague of mine. Wes, how are you doing today? Doing well, guys. Sorry, I think I'm, I'm, I joined you a few minutes late today, but uh, we, we've got an electrician here in the uh, who's uh, doing some work in the basement, and uh, then Tennessee got a commitment. Then my dog started barking at the uh, electrician. Then my wife said she was in a Zoom meeting, and so I had to handle it. And so that's pretty much been about the past 45 minutes or so. So I'm glad that we're that we're through all that kerfuffle. We we know we know all about the animals, don't we, Derek? Uh, Derek's cat yeah. will just meow out of nowhere, and you think it's uh, like a wildcat or something in the back, background of the podcast. Oh, you will hear Gus at some point yeah. before this podcast is over because he is a corgi, and they have never in their life been quiet for more than 15 minutes at a time. <laughs> I actually have a cat sitting right here next to my computer, and uh, I guess it likes the heat that comes off. And if I ever try to move her, she starts meowing. But either way, Wes, uh, Tennessee's coming off its first loss of the season, started the year with a road win at South Carolina, came back to Neyland Stadium, beat Missouri, and then went back on the road 
a 44-21 loss to Georgia. And I know that was a game that Tennessee had certainly gotten up for, uh, obviously a big rivalry game for Tennessee, and it was really kind of a measuring stick type game to see how far Jeremy Pruitt's program had come along. So after a really good first half, uh, 27 unanswered, I believe, by Georgia in the second half. So kind of what's the mood around the team for this week? Well, clearly there's frustration, you know. I mean, and let me add this with a caveat that, that everything I hear from, from these guys now is something I hear via telephone instead mm-hmm. of seeing anything in person. So that that clouds every judgment. It just does. I mean, that's sort of the, the nature of the world we live in right now. But I get the sense that there's clearly some frustration there because Georgia has been in a game a few years in a row now where Tennessee has felt like it had a good plan going into the game. Those staffs know each other very well. They just felt like they would be – all three of those games would have been closer than they were. And in this case, it it actually was until Tennessee kind of hit the self-destruct button there in the third quarter. And, you know, that Georgia defense is so good that all you have to do is is give that – give that bunch a couple of gifts and and then your your Christmas is over. You know, I mean, it's done. You know, you you can't – it's just – it's so hard to run against those guys. I mean, Tennessee's got an offensive line that's got – four or five stars in his starting lineup. And uh, Tennessee had minus one rushing yard against Georgia. So, and that that shocked me because I knew it would be difficult for them, but I didn't think it would be that difficult. And, and that just shows you just how good that Georgia defense is. And then when you get into nickel, Georgia's got one of the best nickel packages I've seen. So it, it, it's, they're in a, they're in a tough spot right now because the first time you get the win taken out of your sails in any season it it puts you in a rough spot because it, it kind of puts you against the corner and it, it, it sort of starts revealing who you are, you know, what kind of character do you have? Cause everybody loves showing up to work when you're undefeated. Everybody loves coming into the building. Everybody loves everybody. You know, it's like uh, the, the Will Ferrell basketball movie. Everybody love everybody. You know, that's what it's like when you're winning. Um, but, but the first time you get punched in the gut like that, you got to come back and you got to go to work. And for Tennessee, I've said all year long, this game right here, this week, this Kentucky game, it, If I, I told Tennessee fans it should scare you a little bit because this is a game where if you show up, you're probably in, you're probably in pretty solid shape. But it is located directly in between a trip to Georgia and a visit from Alabama. Just to, you know, that, that's, so, so if you don't put your full attention on this game, it can give you problems. And, and now they're in, now they're in it. So I, I, I'll be interested to see how they show up this week because I, I think they're clearly some they're clearly frustrated, but they still have a lot to play for. That was actually a question that I actually had for you. Was it being sandwiched between Alabama, Georgia, uh, West? This is the earliest this game has been played in a long time. It has, but don't 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 get me wrong, guys. It's still going to be a low of 39 degrees on Saturday because every year when Kentucky plays Tennessee, whether it is in Lexington, Knoxville, or on the moon. Um, it's going to be below 40 degrees. It's just, it's just how it is. You know, it's, you know, it's what Jeff Goldblum and Jurassic Park says, sort of nature finds a way, life finds a way. I mean, cold finds a way into this game somehow. So, I I mean, it is really interesting because this is a game that you think of for years and years. It it was the final game, right? And and that, uh, that's what it was. Now things are different, obviously. Tennessee plays Vanderbilt at the end, you know, and, and, and that's, it's it's a different schedule in a normal year, um, but still, in a weird year like this, up this early, I, I mean, th- this is it's just so weird because it feels like 
It should be getting darker earlier in the day. You know, it feels like it should be different with it being Kentucky week, but it's really, really, really different because, and I think to an extent, that's a good thing for Kentucky because I've said for years that, that one of Kentucky's biggest issues has been at times uh, been one of Vanderbilt's biggest issues, even when Vanderbilt's not been the mulch fire it is right now, is that when you are at a Kentucky, when you're at a Vanderbilt, your starting 11 usually goes pretty good against just about anybody's, right? You know, you're in a situation where you 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 feel like you, you can go toe-to-toe there. It's when you start getting into the depth that, that gives problems for those programs. And later in the year is the best time to play them because everybody gets banged up, everybody gets sore, and that's that's the best time to play Kentucky or Vanderbilt is late in the year, in my opinion, a lot of times. And, and so playing that game, bumping it up now – means, well, it, you know, it should be a little different story. So I think that also bodes well for Kentucky in this game. So it's it's definitely different, but we'll see how much it matters. I, I don't – I don't I definitely don't think it hurts Kentucky, though. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I would say one of the good things under Kentucky for uh, – with Stoops there is they've really done a good job improving their depth to where mm-hmm. I don't think that's as big of an issue as it used to be. Um, Wes, one, one question I really wanted to dive into – and I, I've not really talked with any Tennessee media person about this, but it's just something that's always been interesting to me, the perception of the Tennessee football program now. So I'm 26. Um, so I got to think like a lot of people probably even in the range of like 20, I don't know, maybe up to 30 or so. I kind of compared it when I was thinking about it yesterday when I was going to ask this question. Like, for me, it seemed like our generation growing up is almost like Kentucky basketball pre John Calipari in the sense that there had been a dominant run in the late nineties. And like, you knew, for example, Tennessee was supposed to be a great football program. You knew Kentucky basketball was supposed to be a great basketball program, but we hadn't really seen that in that time frame for Kentucky until Cal was there. And then you saw how quickly things kind of went back to that. But for Tennessee, it's really probably been a historical low for, certainly the 2017 season and then even going back to 2011 some other years they've had losing seasons really the 2010s was full of probably the worst decade I'm sure for Tennessee so how do you think the perception is maybe held by older of all fans who remember the 90s well the 80s all those other years compared to maybe someone around my age or even younger well the the older Tennessee fans probably uh, it depends there are some who are just constantly frustrated and angry. There are some who are more despondent. There are some, you know, make make no confusion about it, though. It, it's some level of frustration. It's some level of bad. It's just a matter of, of how your personality is, you know, to, yeah. to how you how you respond to those things. But I think it's a really good point that, you know, what you said about Kentucky basketball and, and Tennessee football. One difference I would say is that I do see a lot of similarities there. But when you fall behind in basketball, if you make the right hire, you really can be back in like a year, maybe two years tops. You know, if you make the right enough hire, I mean, you go get John Calipari, boom, you're, you know, you're, you're throwing gas on a fire at that point. I mean, you're, 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 you're blowing up immediately. Uh, in football with 85 scholarships and with the just sheer dominance at the top half of this league, if you fall behind, you all of a sudden have to start living like the people that you've been beating for years. And you, you start to see their plight firsthand, which is when you get behind in this league, 
it is so, so, so difficult to catch up because you got to stack classes on top of each other. You got to get lucky. You got to get some transfers in there. You got to get the right quarterback. You, you just, you have to have so many things go your way. And Tennessee for years never had to worry about that, right? Because maybe it slipped up and had a four loss season here and there. But, you know, it was always, always pretty good. You know, it wasn't really an issue. Then all of a sudden you start getting behind and you start going, well, what the hell's happening? Why is this? Why is this so difficult now? And you realize, well, a lot of those guys you were just getting, now they're going to Georgia. Now they're going to Bama. Now they're going to Clemson. Now Clemson's coming into your own city and taking multiple four and five star prospects in like a five year window. What what is happening here? And a culture has started changing, and that it, it's just so hard to get that back because you walk into Knoxville. You know, you see Gra- Castle Grayskull just looming above everything, basically. You you see the lights turned on. You see the facilities. You go, my God, how did they ever get bad at this? Um, but they did. They got bad at that, and it gets hard to catch up. And culturally, it, it starts to take an effect on people. I mean, there are, there are kids right now who are uh, in college age and just a little bit older than that that prefer going to basketball games at Tennessee. They just do. They think it's a more fun atmosphere. They think there's a better chance they're going to see wins because statistically speaking, they're, they're correct. Uh, it gets difficult. Now, older people, um, you still get people who just, they just know every year football is going to be back. They just know, Hey, this is the year they're back. They're back, but it gets hard. It gets really hard. If you fall behind the curve and then you start making bad hires and you start stacking bad hires, well, th- this is where you are. And then you get a guy like Pruitt, who I think is a pretty good football coach, um, but he walks into just a nightmare, and it takes time to fix. Wes, quarterback position Saturday. This is a uh, matchup for Jarrett Garantano. He's had a lot of success in the last few years. Uh, a guy like Kentucky just has not been able to stop. Why do you think he's had so much success against Kentucky in his time at Tennessee when he struggled against some of the other programs? The easiest answer for me is that even though Kentucky has drastically improved its athleticism and has drastically improved in so many ways under Stoops, this is not a game where Tennessee typically feels a ton of internal pressure, I think. And that pressure sometimes is what kind of, you know, it it, it kind of bursts pipes. And I think Garantano in some big games, you've seen this, uh, you know, go back to that, that fourth down play last year at Alabama on the goal line where you go, what if you just hand off to uh, Corvair's Crouch, he's still running. You know, he's probably he's probably somewhere in, you know, trustful by now. He's just running like Forrest Gump with no one around him. But he tries to sneak it over the top for reasons unbeknownst to anyone, and he fumbles it, and it's returned by – it falls to the hands of the fastest player on the field. He returns it 100 yards for a touchdown because that's just what happens in Tennessee sometimes now. But, you, you know, you go to the Georgia game where things are going pretty fine. Things are going okay. You know, you get hit, whatever. You lose a fumble, it happens. You, your defense stands up. You're still doing all right. But then you throw a ball that just – I still have no concept of why he thought it was a good idea to throw that ball. And you start – things just start snowballing downhill. And we've seen this with him in games like that where things start going badly and they just keep getting worse. And he, for whatever reason, that does not seem to happen in some other games. And Kentucky's one of those games where he just – you know, he, he has maybe a tiny bit more time to throw. Uh, maybe he doesn't have, doesn't have as much pressure on himself. Maybe his receivers have a tiny bit more separation. 
Um, but he just he feels comfortable in a game like this. And when he's comfortable, you know, most of the time he, he's an okay quarterback. You know, there's he's not special, but he, he's not bad. I mean, he, he's definitely not the number one dual threat quarterback prospect in the country uh, like he was billed at coming to Tennessee. Um, but he's had some success in this game, and, and I feel like so, some of that has to be matchups, but some of it also has to be the fact that that he just feels less pressure going into a game like this. Um, but I also think athletically – Kentucky does a lot of things that normally do well for Kentucky, but they match up against what are also, I think, strengths for Tennessee. And I think that that sort of helps them too, because they, they get those receivers one-on-one in coverage. They feel pretty good about that always, you know, on the other side of the ball, they feel like they can stop the run pretty well if you're running right at them. So things that Kentucky does pretty well are things that, that Tennessee, you know, can usually take advantage of. It does seem like Garantano kind of has a way of, like his back can get real bad. It seems like in a hurry. In a hurry. Yeah, and I've not watched uh, every Tennessee game, but that's always been my impression. But that's like we just said, it's never been anything he's had to worry about playing Kentucky. Thirty-seven of fifty-one for his career, uh, four touchdowns, no picks, over five hundred yards. So, anyway, what are some of the other matchups, Wes, that you think uh, will maybe decide this game? Well, if either team makes it really difficult for the other one to run, that team's probably going to win the game. I mean, unless you throw out something crazy, like, I mean, you know, Kentucky had 157 yards of offense and won a game last week because it forced six turnovers. And if you force six turnovers, you're probably going to win. You could you could probably play the Patriots. And if you force six turnovers, you got a chance to win that game, you know. Um, but I think it, it, both of these teams very clearly want to run the ball. That's Kentucky's identity. That's what they've become. That's what they want to be. They've recruited really, really well up front with those Kentucky and Ohio boys and that they can they can roll up their sleeves and hit you. And that's what Tennessee wants to do also because they got a bunch of guys who are going to be playing on Sundays who are on their line now. And they've got a couple of good backs in Chandler and, and Gray who if you get if they get behind you, you're going to have a hard time catching them. And so both of these teams very clearly will want to establish the run. You say that going into every game. It's always the truth. In this game though, um, you know, if Kentucky were to completely contained Tennessee on the ground. Tennessee could still sling it around a little bit and make some things happen. I don't know that Kentucky could do the same. I don't know that – and Tennessee's secondary, which is supposed to be a big strength of this defense, has not been this season. And that's something that, that needs to be said because, you know, Tennessee's got three, I think, pretty darn good corners. It's got a couple of really talented safeties. But Tennessee got just – just completely hammered by by COVID and contact tracing in, in preseason camp. And there were times where they had zero cornerbacks ready for practice. And there were times where they only had a couple of safeties. And they've had a hard time kind of getting everybody on the same page back there. And I think that that needs to change quickly. But Kentucky may not be the kind of team that can really, really extend you there. You know, certainly more so than it could last year. But it's – I don't know that that's a huge issue. So Kentucky – has to run the ball to win the game. Tennessee would like to run the ball, um, maybe doesn't have to. But if if either team gets something like below fifty yards rushing or something, that's going to be it's it's going to be hard for them to win. Yeah, and the Tennessee injury report going into this week, Wes. Uh, are there any guys that are going to be out, or any guys that are questionable day to day, anything like that? Yeah, I'll I'll throw this out with a caveat because we don't see anything right now. So we we sort of have to go by what they're saying, which is in fairness to to Pruitt, his injury updates are normally either I'm not going to tell you 
or I'm going to tell you accurately. So if he actually says something, it's usually the truth. I'm going to give him credit for that. He's, you know, Butch Jones would, would lie just for the sake of lying about the most ridiculous things you could imagine. Like there was a time where Tennessee had a quarterback uh, who had torn a labrum and he could not throw. And so we heard and reported, hey, he's got a torn labrum. He can't play. But all week long, uh, Butch Jones had the the quarterbacks only hand off in periods where media could see and not throw one forward pass and thinking that that would trick us into thinking that, hey, maybe Worley's okay. And very clearly he wasn't. He couldn't play. He went inside as soon as we did. You know, but but my my point is when, when Pruitt tells you something with an injury, it's usually pretty accurate. They've got a couple guys who are dinged up. Uh, Jameer Johnson, who's a, an offensive tackle, who's a guy who um, Tennessee has tried to recruit over for a long time, and and he still just finds his way back into the lineup and produces and plays better than some of the four stars and five stars ahead of him. Uh, he's been dinged up. He missed last week. I think they're trying uh, to get him back this week. Well, we'll see. Um, they got a couple other guys who have some some little nicks here and there, but um, there may be one other. Uh, relatively uh, significant injury. I'm going to try to look that up really quickly as I'm talking because I forgot who it was. Um, but I, the bottom line is I don't think they're being just sort of decimated right now. I think they've got they got a couple guys who are dinged up, but I don't think they're in terrible shape there. Going back to the last thing you said, I wanted to make the point for our listeners. This is a lot of what Wes said about UK, you know, not really having – I'm paraphrasing here. I don't want to – you know, mistake your words, Wes, but what Wes was getting at is what I've tried to say a lot is that Kentucky against the teams like Missouri, Vanderbilt, even South Carolina, Mississippi State, normally, not not last week, but Kentucky can run the ball against those teams fairly well, much better uh, than they can when they do go up against teams. And Tennessee still falls in the realm. Uh, they might not have the same kind of success, but on paper they've recruited certainly near the top half of the conference. And like he was saying, it will not be easy for Kentucky to just line up and on the ball, and when you get in that situation, Terry Wilson's not proven he can consistently beat teams from the pocket. And that's, that's a big reason why I'm maybe a little bit more down on Kentucky than some others are right now, especially coming off a win. But that's kind of where I fall in line with why I just – I think it's going to be a real struggle for them Saturday, given what I've seen so far, just because they don't have the athletes to, to really scare uh, anyone. And like Wes said, a team with a good secondary like Tennessee is uh, – or should have a good secondary. I know, like you said, they've had some issues with COVID and – contact tracing but that's why i think it's probably going to be a struggle but just the way i wanted to wrap it up uh, there's there's one there's one quick thing i want to add there Derek, is that if kentucky has you know a back or a tight end or a slot receiver that it can motion around and get into a matchup against tennessee uh, with a linebacker guarding that or defending that person that Tennessee's linebackers have been wretched in pass coverage, I think, this season. And, and that's something that if it, I know these Kentucky, if I can see it when I'm watching film, Kentucky's coaches probably have it sharpied and underlined and circled and astrocytes, everything. They've got a lot of emphasis on this. And then if they can get a, a back like that into into some coverage uh, against a, a linebacker. I know Henry Toto's phenomenal. He had just an all-world pick six against South Carolina. Uh, but in general, their linebackers uh, in pass coverage have been problematic. So that's one area. But go on. I just wanted to say that that's something oh, yeah. that if you're Kentucky, if you're a Kentucky fan, you, that's the matchup you want to see. Well, maybe AJ Rose will find his uh, niche once again, Sean, this weekend. But I had two things left for you uh, to follow up. The first one, Wes, is and you talked about it a little bit earlier, Jeremy Pruitt. 
obviously, like you said, they went through a string of hires that didn't quite work out. Do you think Pruitt is the guy to to get them back to the level of, you know, obviously one tough thing I guess that he's have to deal with that Butch Jones and even Derek Dilley didn't have to deal with is that uh, Georgia, for one, is has the most talent in the country, according to the team uh, talent rankings. And then Dan Mullen's a pretty good coach at Florida. So do you think Pruitt's the guy, though, to, to get them back in that kind of stratosphere, I guess you'd say? I have very little doubt that he's a guy who can get them to the cusp of that. Um, I think that's the I think that's the basement. And, you know, I think this guy with other good coaches want to come work for him. Uh, he knows what he's doing when he's coaching defenses. He he knows, you know, recruits like him. Uh, and I think on Saturdays with with you know, no one's ever perfect, but I like how aggressive he is on on game days. I, I like some of the decisions that he makes. I, I think this guy. For a guy who'd never been a head coach before, before he got to Tennessee, he's, I think, been impressive in, in that way. Um, and the, the problem is, is like you mentioned, though, it's that when you get to a place where Tennessee got to, you can either – you can do one of two things, right? You can either – you can hire Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, and you can get really, really good in about two years. Or you can hire just about anybody else, and you're going to have to rebuild the the sort of the traditional way. And and that that's sort of. And I don't think Tennessee wants to pay about twelve million dollars or eleven million dollars for a coach right now. So I think Tennessee is going to you know have to go like every like most people would. And, and the problem is, like you alluded to, is that right now it's not just that. It's that you know Tennessee historically, when it's good goes into the neighboring states and just they're like Vikings. They're just, you know, raiding and pillaging and, and taking their best players. And right now, uh, Georgia is just at a different level. Uh, Georgia is finally acting the way Georgia should have been acting since its inception. This is always what Georgia football should have been. And the fact that it's not is, I don't want to say embarrassing, but but shocking that it's taken Georgia this long to kind of be what it what it should be. Uh, so that makes things difficult. Alabama is playing, you know, is Alabama right now, and and that's a problem for Tennessee in recruiting. Clearly, um, you know, uh, Clemson. People forget this. Clemson is just a few hours down the road, and Clemson has gone into Knoxville and gotten like you know a couple of four stars, a couple of five stars. They they you know, and even Trevor Lawrence. I don't know if people know this. Trevor Lawrence comes from a family of diehard Tennessee fans. Trevor Lawrence was a Tennessee fan growing up. He you know wore different color orange jerseys than he's wearing now, went to games, uh, was committed to Tennessee for a while, and then flipped to Clemson. And these are guys that that Tennessee would have gotten for years, that they'd be, you know, I mean, you, you would have had last season, you would have had um, you would have had Trevor Lawrence throwing T. to T. Higgins and Amari Rogers and handing it to Travis Etienne, and all that would be happening in Tennessee orange. And, and right now it's not. So, and even really small things that you don't really pay attention to that much, like what Mac Brown and North Carolina are doing in recruiting. That's another program just right down the road. And that's a place where Tennessee never struggles to keep guys away from. And now that they're kind of being a, a problem in some ways, or at least, you know, making Tennessee fight hard for some of these guys. So they're having to do what, what they've had to do sometimes, which is go to California and get Toto, go to up to the Midwest um, where they can say, Hey, do you want to play for Ohio state or do you want to play sec football? every week. I mean, that's, and they get guys that way, like Kentucky's done. Um, you go to Texas, go, go wherever they can to get guys um, because they can't just go get the cream of the crop from everywhere. Now, uh, what does help Tennessee in the long run to, to wrap up is that Nashville is the fastest growing city 
uh, fastest growing major city in the country. It's crazy. I mean, before the pandemic, there were like 91 or something people moving to Nashville per day. And a lot of those are transplants. So it's going to be like Atlanta is with Georgia, where they're not automatically dogs and these guys won't automatically be balls. But that should help Tennessee much more often than not. So I, I put it this way. In my lifetime, Tennessee will start to look like Tennessee again. I just don't know when exactly that will be because right now there's a lot of people uh, around them who are doing their jobs, and that just makes it more difficult. Last thing for you, uh, you don't have to give a score if you don't want to, however you want to do this, but how, how do you see the game shaking out Saturday? I, I think I'm going to pick Tennessee to win because, and, I, and I've said this for years, I just almost never pick Tennessee to beat Florida, and I almost never pick Kentucky to beat Tennessee because I just see when Kentucky plays Tennessee, it's the same thing that happens when Tennessee plays Florida. You see dumb, dumb things that you don't see any other time during the year. I mean, if you want to be – and I'm not trying to be rude, but if you want to be you know, kind of cute about it, you could say that well, Kentucky's already done the whole miss a miss a PAT and lose a game in OT because of it thing. I mean, maybe, you know, the and the whole running to the end zone and getting the ball knocked out from the three and then fumble. I mean, you know, yeah. they've already gotten some of that stuff out of the system. So maybe that's just maybe they're they're done with that for for now. And and if you're big blue, you're hoping so. But I just see I, there's a mental block, and I know people say I'm crazy for saying this, and that players don't care. I think that it's objectively fine to believe that that it doesn't matter but when you watch game year after year after year after year and you keep seeing the same thing with just different players in the uniforms for me it exists I can't prove it like quantifiably like on paper I cannot prove it um but I I I just think that this is a game where in addition to that the things that Kentucky does well uh, are still things I think where Tennessee is okay. I don't think they can really exploit too many areas where Tennessee's just bad. Um, and I think if Tennessee struggles to run occasionally, it can still just kind of throw jump balls to, to Palmer and Johnson and Tillman and those guys and, you know, get the ball to gray on the perimeter and make some plays. I think Tennessee just has a little bit more right now. Um, so I don't know that I've picked an exact score yet. I'm going to have to do that before the end of Thursday, but I—I I, I mean, I, I would say probably something in the realm of, I don't know, thirty-four twenty-four or something like that. Thirty-four, you know, some something in thirty-one twenty-one, somewhere in that range. Uh, I think Tennessee covers, but barely, um, because I, I think Kentucky is a good football team. I think Kentucky really could be three and zero right now, and you don't have to do much stretching to see that. And I think this is a good football team, and I think Stoops has done one hell of a job there. Um, but I think Tennessee just has a little bit more right now. But that, that's that's where I'm leaning. But I could have some epiphany later and change my mind. But somewhere in that 34-24 range, something like that. Yeah, before I wrap this up, last thing I'll say is you mentioned Tennessee, whatever mental block they might have against Florida. I want to make the point that that also exists for Kentucky against Florida. When you say you see things happen in those games that don't otherwise Kentucky left a guy wide open twice against Florida in 2017. That was unbelievable. Point. I remember that. I, remember, I, was, uh, I was in the press box at Neal Stadium going, what in the hell is happening there? Two out of the last three years, actually, that game, that same game, they missed field goals at the end that, that would have won. And then 2018, I guess, they snapped the streak and ended some of that. But there's a whole long history of games against Florida and Tennessee for Kentucky that you really have to stretch your head to figure out how they lost. But, Wes, we really appreciate you well, coming. I, 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 I want to say that – last thing before I go is I want to say that I know that they're – 
there are times in Lexington and, and I have, I mean, my, my mother's family is from, um, is from that area. You know, they're my, my mother's people are Eastern Kentucky kind of London, you know, hazard Corbin type people. And, and so I got a lot of big blue in the family and I know at times you see some frustration with Stoops and those guys. Um, but I think when you look just at, at the job that they've done since they've been there, I mean, they have made this, a much, much, much tougher game than it used to be because the days of Kentucky throwing, you know, Kentucky could chuck and duck for 400, but it couldn't stop anybody and it couldn't stop the run. And and so you knew that at some point Kentucky would start bleeding out and you, you would win the game. But now, I mean, th- those guys, I mean, what they've done there, I mean, they shouldn't just be satisfied with what they've done up there, but I mean, they've just, they've done a really good job with that program. I think everybody across the league recognizes that. I think people who from the outside looking in say, and that guy's, they're doing a good job up there. And now can they go to the next level? That's the next question. But I just think just looking at the matchups in these games the past few years, it's just night and day different from what I remember doing most of my career. Yeah, yeah no question about that. It is. Sean, you uh, want to wrap it up? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I heard from you. I, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I was just enjoying listening. That that's why we bring that's why we bring somebody on from the opposing beat. Great stuff from U.S. Derek and I will be in Knoxville, and we're we're going into that game. I know. Neither of us will pick Kentucky to win that game because we watched it our entire lives, especially in Knoxville. We're, we're going to be sitting there wondering what the hell will happen next in this series I've got, there. I've got, uncles, I've got uncles who are doing the same thing, so I, <laughs> I, I understand. But uh, he's Wes Rucker, and you're listening to Kentucky Daily. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Kentucky Daily. Derek, we didn't talk about this in the opening. We didn't talk about it yesterday. But Jaton McLean is a guy that you and I have talked a lot about on the show. We actually dedicated an entire episode to him in fall camp, which is very rare for a true freshman. Uh, but Eddie Grand had some really good things to say about McLean. McLean, you were you were high on him, especially after Saturday in that first carry where he literally just trucked a dude. Like one carry, and he knocked a guy flat on his back. And that was enough for me to see, like, hey, this guy needs to play more. And obviously, uh, here's the quote from Eddie. It's kind of like one of those things we talked about with Benny. When a player comes in and asks coach, why am I not playing? You pop on the film and say, make me play you. This young man is going to make me play him a lot like Benny. Here we are going into our fourth game, and the kid is ready. He's ready to go. He's not saying he's Benny Snell, but any time that you have a comparison and you have to plug the name Benny, you know that the work ethic is there. Yeah, I think Saturday enters territory where this kid's going to get in the game, play a little bit, and as long as he's never, you know, as long as no injuries or whatever happened throughout his career, he'll be a kid that you hear his name every single game for the next four or five years. That's my guess on Jacob McLean. Um They've slowly worked him in. Uh, honestly, I think he's probably been ready to play before this week. But, you know, you had senior A.J. Rose, and then before Smoke went down, you had, you know, three pretty pretty productive backs there. I don't think there was a, a pressing need to get Jatan in, but now with Smoke out, uh, Rose is a little banged up as well. I don't think to the point where he won't play. But, uh, you know, I'd heard he'd limped off the field after the game, and then um, I think he was pretty limited early on this week in practice. So, Jatan might have been getting a little bit more work there. And obviously in the SEC with this schedule, man, like these running backs are going to be taking a beating as the year goes on. So 
I think you'll see him a little bit for sure. Um, he needs to be in there, though, I think for sure, the way he ran the other day. I know it was just one carry, but you take that one carry and add that on top of everything that's been said about him already this year, and it makes a lot of sense as to why this would be the week. And Next week ain't going to be easy, though, for him having to play that Georgia defense. But after that, I think you could really see him start to come on uh, in around the middle of the season. Yeah, and if you remember four – was it four or five years ago with Benny, he didn't play the first two games of the season. Then he, he came out of nowhere in that third game, and it was because he got an opportunity. Uh, who knows what happens? Uh, you could see him play more than 10 snaps Saturday, given especially with Rose being banged up and the way AD rotates these running backs. I, I do think that if Kentucky wins this game, there needs to be a heavy dose of Chris Rodriguez. I just feel like that the way that they like to control time of possession, Derek, They've got it. Rodriguez needs – this is a game that I'd like to see Rodriguez get to 15, 17 touches if things are working, at least. Yeah, it's time. It's time that this becomes Chris Rodriguez's backfield uh, for this season. You know, there still should be packages for A.J. I mean, you're not going to get through uh, a season with – really any more of these days. You can still have a bell cow type running back like Benny was, no question about it, but – Rose is good enough, and McLean should be good enough where those guys still deserve some touches. However, the point I'm trying to make is these days of A.J. Rose being the leading carrier for the running backs, I think should probably be over for now. And it doesn't mean you relegate him to no role. It just means that it's Chris's backfield, and uh, he's productive. Every time he gets in there, I can't really think of any bad games that kids had besides the fumbles at the very beginning of last year. Not to jinx the kid, he's not fumbled since the whole time he's been playing since those first few games. So I look for that to actually happen uh, probably this week, but if not, you know, certainly by next week. And if you remember, those fumbles were after he had had, like, huge chunk plays. Like, those fumbles, like, I remember his freshman year when he fumbled. He, he, had, he had just ran for, like, I think 40 or 50 yards on a couple of plays and then fumbled. And then it yeah. seems like the same thing happened uh, last season early in the year. They were driving. And he was doing great and then put the ball on the turf. So it's not like that he's, you know, just negative plays and then fumbling. So I, I just feel like that he's given the SEC, yes, he looks just like Benny, the way he runs out there, as big as he is. He's durable to this point. He showed that he's durable. I just think that uh, that's the guy that you kind of want to build your backfield around and then you mix in the smokes, you mix in the A.J. Rose. Uh, the Jatal McLeans. Obviously, Kentucky's in a great situation in the backfield, regardless of what they decide to do. They have plenty of weapons there. Derek, a couple of injuries, though. Um, We'll talk to Mark Stoops Thursday night, so this is Thursday around noon. Uh, Josh Paschal, we don't know for sure yet. I'm sure we'll know more tonight. Uh, Bryce Oliver, we still haven't seen him this year. Of those two, they're they're both huge. They both, both those guys need to be out there uh, to improve Kentucky's chances of winning this game, but who do you think is the more important to get out there this week? Is it Pascal? Oh, yeah, definitely Josh. I, th- I think Josh has been the best player on the defense this season. You need that kind of guy who can get to the quarterback on a week like this. And uh, I, I want to say I was really impressed, by the way, with Isaiah Gibson last week. Um, he hadn't really played that much. I think he got maybe in one of those first two games, but hadn't really done anything to that point. He hadn't really played enough snaps to do so. And he got in there last week. I thought he did a phenomenal job. I went back and watched the game again a few nights ago, and um, you know you you could feel him out there. He was he was making a difference, I thought. So 
he might be getting a lot of run this week if Josh can't go, but I mean, you just can't expect the same level of production from a redshirt freshman who's just really beginning his career versus a guy like Josh who looks like an all SEC type player to me. So I don't, I don't know. I've, I'd heard earlier in the week that it was probably doubtful he would play, but who knows? Some, some time has passed. Uh, he stayed on the sidelines last week. He was doubtful to return that game. He didn't return, but I think he was down there in case of emergency. He might have tried to have given it a go, but I don't know. I think it'll be tough to play this week on a on a sprained knee. But regarding Oliver, take it for what it's worth. But he was UK sent out. Uh, I think I think for practice yesterday, and he was out there practicing. So. I would guess he's close. I know he's been practicing, even practiced last week, uh, at least a little bit. Still didn't play, but he would be a, a big addition. And who knows what you would expect from him this first game, but more so going forward, he's definitely a guy that they're, uh, they're going to need out there. I'm seeing what uh, what you saw with them. It was a picture, wasn't it, from the uh, what they tweeted out. They tweeted out three hours ago, Russ Oliver, 85. I see that now. So, yeah, that that is a good sign that he's out there again. Uh, this is a huge game, Derek, in the SEC. It's it's a huge game for both these teams because you have a program in Tennessee who they feel like they're they're getting back to where they want to be. I do think that Jeremy Pruitt is doing a really good job in Knoxville. Uh, but these are the games that we've seen in the past. If Tennessee loses this game Saturday, the fans are going to be loud. They're going to be very loud. They'll be 2-2 two and two with Alabama you know, coming up next. And then you have to think that Tennessee falls below 500 after a 2-0 start. So this is a huge game. And on the other side of this, if Kentucky loses this game, it's, they're 1-4 one and, one and four going playing Missouri. Yeah. That, that's not a good spot to be in. That's not the That's not the spot that I don't think any of us thought Kentucky would be in. That's what makes this game so important is because if you can win it, you see a path to at least 5-5. Five and five. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and th- this was one of the two games we talked about preseason with Auburn as kind of a swing game. And, of course, at that point in the time, we were still predicting an Ole Miss win. So I think most people, at the very least, like Kentucky would be 2-1 and one at this point in the season. And you could still afford a loss here next week and, and be at 500 by the time you reach the first bye week. But in order to uh, to do that now, they're going to have to win Saturday. And I still think it's probably a bigger game for Tennessee, though, in terms of uh, – I mean, they could be really sitting to a tailspin if they don't win this game. Like you mentioned, they got Alabama. And, and Kentucky has a tough schedule as well. But and Texas A&M's there. on that schedule too. And Auburn. Them. And Auburn. Yeah. So. And, and somebody said well, – I think it was Peter Burns the other day, and I want to get your thoughts on this. He said that of the teams in the SEC, it, it looks like Georgia well, – now we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Nick Saban has COVID-19. That – I don't know how that's going to affect what happens Saturday with Georgia-Alabama. But it looks like if right now I'm making a prediction, those two teams will play each other again here in a couple of months. That that would be my prediction, that they'd play in the SEC championship game. But Peter Burns, was he put out something interesting the other day. Texas A&M scheduled, Derek, they should be favored in every single game the rest of the way. Is, that, is, that, is Jimbo Fisher have a team that could find themselves in the college football playoff? Um, or or no do one, they lose a game somewhere they shouldn't lose, or yeah. are they beyond that? I just think all these teams in the SEC that aren't, you know, just the absolute elite of the elite. Like, I, I think Georgia, even Georgia, man, with its offense, like, I think could slip up at a certain point. The defense is going to be excellent and keep them in every single game. But Alabama, yeah, like you said, who knows with 
that whole kind of mess now with Saban not going to – I don't think there's any way he can coach Saturday. I mean, he tested positive, like, unless it was a false positive, which I've not seen anything to suggest that it was. You're going to have a, a different head coach for their biggest game of the season <laughs> to this point, Steve Sarkeesian. So uh, I, I think A&M will slip up at some point, though. I just think it's uh, – in an all-SEC schedule like this, I just think there are going to be some kind of weird results every it's week. Brutal. So. But, but, but you're right, you... though. They probably should be, like, favored in most of their games. They were a team before this whole schedule change that I looked at and thought, you know, A&M's kind of got a soft schedule. Like, this should be the year for Jimbo to make a move. They looked really bad against Vandy, and then – uh, I don't. They got crushed by Alabama, but to win last week, they should have a lot of momentum yeah. now. Well, here's their here's the remaining schedule. So they have seven games left. Here it is: at Mississippi State versus Arkansas, at South Carolina, at Tennessee versus Ole Miss, LSU at Auburn. So yeah, I can see there's there's a couple in there. You could see them losing at Tennessee. You could yeah. see them possibly losing at Auburn. Uh, we've seen that Ole Miss has an offense that can put up points. But maybe LT figures it out eventually. I mean, maybe. maybe. So, but you also have to think that I guess what if you're an A and M fan, you look at that and you say we could literally win every single one of these games if we play well. And I mean, that's going to be interesting to watch. I don't see Mississippi State or Arkansas beating them. I think that no. they've got enough momentum that they can win those. So it it will definitely be interesting to watch how that plays out. The the thing that the thing that hurts Texas A&M is they've already lost to Alabama, so Alabama has the tiebreaker. So Alabama's got to lose two games before Texas Possible. A&M even becomes a factor to win uh, the West. But if they finish nine and one, Derek, you have to think that there's a path there to the college football playoff, especially in a weird year like this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they're going to handle the, the Pac-12 and Big Ten. Uh, I'm assuming the Big Ten will. If Ohio State's undefeated, I have a hard time thinking they wouldn't get in, but. You pretty much know that the SEC champion and the ACC champion, which will be Clemson most likely, uh, will be locks to get in there. The Big 12, kind of a mess. It's not going to be Texas or Oklahoma, so it would have to be like an Oklahoma State type team. But when we talk about these all-conference years, though, like there's always going to be weird results. So it's fun to speculate now, but what we say today on October the 15th will uh, – certainly change probably by this time next week actually only <laughs> I mean because like last week we wouldn't have been talking about Texas A&M this way you know like, no one would have thought I would no. say no one but they, they weren't really expected to beat Florida came out played a good game and then you know it's kind of interesting though I really do feel like uh Georgia and Alabama have definitely separated themselves in terms of their own divisions like they have uh, Maybe, maybe Florida, like Florida's have to make up some ground now, losing A&M, and they still have some tough games left. I mean, most notably Georgia, but Alabama is really, really in the driver's seat as long as Saban gets back and they can avoid kind of a mass outbreak on their team. And Florida's in a situation now with this game, you know, being able to be played and stuff this weekend with postponed and, and everything. You know, Dan Mullen calling for 90,000 people in the swamp and all this, and now they, they're hit with covid it, yeah. I, when you look at it, we all these factors that we talked about in the preseason, Derek, that these teams just have to navigate this season with COVID-19 and injuries. Injuries are enough in the SEC, but when you have to navigate it with COVID and contact tracing, uh, I think that's the unfortunate thing to where Kentucky didn't get off to a good start this season. As you see, all Kentucky sort of has been in a situation to where they've not had a lot of issues. That they they've sort of been fortunate to this point in the season. Now that could we've seen how that can change at any moment. It can change quickly. I mean, well, look at Florida. The common theme too is all these teams that have had issues this week. Uh, 
I, I guess except well the Vanderbilt game had to be canceled because of well actually what I was about to say is not even right. Mainly though Florida and Alabama were both road teams and Florida seems to think for sure a lot of their problems stemmed from the fact that they were traveling. Saban mentioned when you travel you're exposed to a lot more people. That brings up a point I actually wanted to ask you, and maybe we'll talk about this more tomorrow because we're about running out of time on this episode. But if Soup is thinking about flying down to uh, Knoxville, is it safer to do that? Is it safer to get on the bus? That's what I was kind of trying to figure out because these teams had obviously Florida. I mean, that's a probably a decently long flight from Gainesville to uh, College Station, and then Alabama to Ole Miss is not as far, of course, but. Uh, that's just something to watch, though. It's only Kentucky's second road game of the year, and it does seem like a lot of the problems have stemmed from travel, uh, at least to this point in the league. You got a bus, in my opinion. I, I I just feel like right now there's no way that I would get on a flight. Honestly, just you just don't know. I mean, you're on you're in the air for an hour or so, and I mean re- recycled air. I don't know, Derek. Like if anybody, uh, I just don't think that it's a good idea to fly to Knoxville. I mean, it's such a short, I don't, it's, it's weird though, how he was so upset with something with that preparation that it just threw them off. That's the only game that they bust to other than Vandy and Louisville, right? Do they, and didn't they, I know basketball took a flight home from Vandy one year, which really confused me, but I think it was because of weather. Well, I'll tell you this, these Stoops is kind of going on and on about how long of a bus ride it was. I think a lot of those minor league baseball players might, uh, take a laugh at them that, uh, it's, I think it's only like a two-and-a-half-hour bus ride, right? <laughs> like it's not that I'm long. Tell you, I'm going to tell you this, Mark. I'm going to tell you this, Mark. If you don't like that bus ride, then you can come stay at my house and drive to the home games like I do, <laughs> two hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Tell him. I mean, if you're busing to Georgia or something, then, yeah, it's, that's a little bit of a haul. But, I mean, you can be in Knoxville pretty pretty quickly. I'll Mark. ask you, are you are you flying Saturday? Are you flying down from, from Lexington? I won't have the private jet on Saturday, so now I'll have to uh, hop in the Ford and, and drive on down. I'll be in uh, I'll be in Corbin this weekend, seeing my folks. So uh, and well, you might I'm make a there, you might make it out to the butcher's pub. I might. I was thinking about it. We'll see. We'll see how the time goes <laughs> Saturday. Uh, Saturday would be the day for me to do it. Uh, Friday, I got some things going on, but either way. Uh, I will be making it out there at some point, but a big game yep. Saturday, Sean. This is a this is a game that's one of my favorite road trips just because it's such an easy drive to make. And actually, to come to think of it, it's going to suck that Louisville's getting flip flopped here because you, used to you could look at two easy road trips to Knoxville and Louisville in the same, in the year. same year, and you'd and have three road games. games. Yep, yeah. and I, I'm with you. That was uh, that was this was always my favorite road schedule the way it would work out because they were all so close, but. Eric, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, two episodes. We're going to have a recruiting episode. There's been a lot happening on the U.K. basketball recruiting front. We've got some other basketball news. The D1 uh, council, council voted to uh, approve an extra year of eligibility for all winter sport athletes, so we'll dive into that tomorrow. Uh, all the basketball talk. We'll recap some of these basketball interviews that we've had this week, and then we will do a mailbag and with our predictions for the SEC and uh, what Kentucky-Tennessee, how we see that game playing out. But this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. We'll catch you tomorrow. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, 
a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.